Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The 162nd edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a flag route across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. See, Matt, I'm, I'm noticing a pattern here. The, the routes just keep getting longer and longer and longer. Are you, uh, are you moving further down the Harpeth or what? Uh, no, coach. River's just getting a little bit wider these days. There you go. Erosion. I like it. Um, I know. I don't like it. I don't like that erosion. We need that. We, we need that river around here, especially if we're going to go cabrewing. That's right. Which that's we need right. to do, which we need to do before it gets too cold too again. Yes. Um, anyhow, we digress. Uh, we cannot continue the show without the third amigo in the second city, a man who loves the game, but hates the physical Heartland trophy. It's our intrepid <laughs> and counting Josh Cook. I like to call it the Merrill Lynch Trophy. I think it looks very similar to the Merrill Lynch Bowl. So, yeah, or uh, like the bowl that's on uh, Wall Street. Yeah, it's the Iowa Wisconsin football game presented by Merrill Lynch. There you have it. Well, uh, we'll be talking about that game and a lot of other ones uh, here uh, on the show today. But before we get to some of the marquee matchups, we will start off with some quick slants. So, Josh, off to you first. Yeah, I I have two quick slants, which are both just grab bags of random games that are really intriguing to me for various reasons. So, uh, the first one is down at BB&T in Winston-Salem. Wake Forest, they're 2-1, and but uh, they gave BC a, a real fight up in Boston area, and they get to host... Eighth-ranked Notre Dame. Uh, Irish, a little bit of some sleepwalking since the Michigan game. Uh, This is their first road trip. It'll be interesting to see uh, what Wake can do with a good Notre Dame team, but I think all of us are probably in agreement that they don't look like the eighth-best team in the country at the moment. I Uh, mean, their defense might be the eighth-best in the country, but their offense certainly is not up there. Agreed. And then the other one, um, also featuring an ACC team, NC State, 2-0, a little bit under the radar 2-0 based on some of the other storylines in the conference. They do a a rare road trip uh, for a Power 5 team to Marshall, and uh, that's never an easy trip. Thundering Herd or 2-0. Yeah, we'll be be talking about that in our spread formations. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to tease that one because that one is very intriguing to me, as Poppy would say on HQ. And then last but not least, I have not left the bandwagon. I am extremely nervous about how the season started. But I said Arizona was winning the South. Their 1-2 and start hasn't prevented them from doing that. They are 0-0 and in Pac-12 play. They travel up to Corvallis. Oregon State has looked awful in their one and two start. This is Arizona's chance to pick up a conference win and make me look like a genius. We'll see if it happens. Corvallis never an easy place to play. 
uh, coach. It helps. It helps that it's a three p.m. game. I don't yeah. like playing at Corvallis under the lights. Three it's p.m. Like, like like the upsets come on Friday nights too. You know, they always seem to play a Friday night game. Oh, Corvallis. It always seems to be Oregon State USC. It's USC on a Friday night with a eight o'clock local time start. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's you know eleven a.m. or eleven p.m. on the East Coast, and it's foggy. It's loud. And it's uh, it, it's a fantastic sight to see. That that's for sure. And if I'm not mistaken, they had one of my favorite occurrences: the rare uh, early run onto the field, get everyone else off, play the final play, everyone runs back on situation. That's always Ooh. yes, it is. Well, another tough place for opponents to play uh, that is Georgia. Uh, Coach, your dogs are hosting the zoo this weekend. Well, um, they are not hosting. Uh, Mizzou is actually hosting. They are on the road, are they? Yeah, but Columbia is just equally as tough to play in for whatever reason. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't help that Drew Locke is is back for Mizzou, and uh, he you know he was all world last year. He's already uh, got a thousand. He's got over a thousand yards already with eleven touchdowns. He's seventy eight of one thirteen. That's Drew Locke calling me right there, um, telling me how bad I suck. But um, Anyway, this this you know th- this matchup should be one that finally tests Georgia's defense. Really, a good true test of Georgia's defense to see just you know if that South Carolina game was a fluke. You know what? It, there's a lot of storylines here, and, and and Drew Locke in the first half of last year's game just completely terrorized that Georgia secondary, and just I think he threw four touchdown passes. I think two of them were over over 50 yards. So um, Georgia's got their work cut out for them. And in, a relatively inexperienced secondary, uh, you know, if, if they don't try to test DeAndre Baker, you know, then then it could be a long day for Tyreek McGee and uh, J.R. Reed and all you know and Richard LeCount. So uh, Georgia's defense has got their work cut out for them, um, but there's no reason. Uh, they haven't shown any reason so far this year to make me worry as a as a Georgia fan. But um, you know, for Missouri, their big test is can we stop Swift and Holyfield? Can we slow down Fromm? Fromm has been extremely efficient. He's thirty seven of forty six for four hundred seventy nine yards. Not not a ton of yards, but when the run game is working like that, then you know there's no need to, to pass for a whole lot of yards. So. Um, you know, they're both equal in scoring. So that should be an exciting uh, noon central kickoff for yeah, actually, 11 a.m. The, the one thing that I would be concerned about if I was uh, Missouri is how are they going to stop the passing game? I'm not sure they can hold down Godwin and uh, Miko Hardman and the rest uh, and, and all that, the bevy of tight ends that Georgia has. I don't think they have the no, athletes mean, in the secondary to be able to stop them. No, I mean, as soon as you shut down Meekhole, you got to deal with Godwin. As soon as you shut down Godwin, you got to deal with Ridley, then Demetrius Robertson, then Isaac Nada, then Charlie Warner, uh, and then then you got the running game, you know. And so it's it's a multi level attack. I mean, and, I mean, Missouri is 116th in the country in passing yards per game allowed. So yeah, I, 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 I would missing. not be surprised to see. Jake from and Justin Fields uh, seem, depends on how much he's in there. Yeah, go off a little bit. This could be a really big game for Hardman and Godwin. 
Yeah, I, it, it wouldn't it would shock me, honestly, to see it play out like last year's game where it was an all-out shootout in the first half and then Georgia's depth just allows them to pull away, and that's what happened a year ago. So it uh, wouldn't, wouldn't shock me one bit to see the same story. But a couple other games within the conference that are interesting to me is uh, Florida-Tennessee, which uh, no matter how bad each team is, it's always a great rivalry, always a great game. Um, Felipe Franks uh, had a tough opening to the season, had a tough game against Kentucky, bounced back a little bit against Colorado State. This will be his first uh, conference game since Kentucky, so see if he can bounce back against, I would say, a legitimate opponent. Uh, Tennessee, Tim Jordan is your leading rusher, 232 yards. Um, Tennessee is looking to start the Jeremy Pruitt era off right. Uh, they, they got off on the wrong foot against West Virginia, but – Let's be honest, that was a really tough opponent and where they're at, that was a very tall order to ask him to win that game. So um, it's at it's at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, so um, that'll be a fun one. And, guys, I'm not going to do it this time. I'm not going to bury the lead. Arkansas is traveling to the Plains uh, to take on the Auburn Tigers. Jared Stidham looking to bounce back again after that tough, tough LSU loss um, where he was outplayed by Joe Burrow. So, uh, and then South Coach, Carolina, Coach Auburn, Auburn is a thirty-point favorite in that game. Well, he's still got to bounce back if he plays like crap. The Arkansas, it, it doesn't. L- listen, I've seen this game enough to where there was one year I think it was the year before Cam got there, and Auburn was favored by like, I think by like twenty-four points. They ended up losing. They played probably the worst game I've ever seen Auburn play. And they lost by ten points, so it's possible. I, you know, if you're a thirty-point favorite in this game, I I don't see it this year. But I mean, stranger things have happened. Um, South Carolina at Vanderbilt. This will this will tell us just where Vanderbilt is and just where South Carolina is. Uh, both teams looking to really make a statement in this division. Uh, and then then a the couple games we're going to talk about here in uh, deep roots. Yeah, and we'll be doing the South Carolina Vandy game in spread formations. So uh, let so me get, stay tuned for my pick. So for my slate today, there are two games I wanted to look at uh, and, that I was intrigued by, and I will start in, uh, in in the battle between two of the top three teams in the state of Florida. Uh, that is when FAU heads to Orlando to take on the reigning national champion UCF. The Knights are coming off an extra bye week due to Hurricane Florence, so they should be well-rested. FAU, after their opening day shellacking at the hands of the Sooners, has gone on to beat a pretty solid Air Force team and then cruised last week against Bethune-Cookman and HBCU uh, from the FCS. Devin Singletary hasn't been getting the same gaudy stats like he did last year, but he's got seven touchdowns in three games. And quarterback Chris Robinson seems to have built up a nice rapport with Javon Durante. He's averaging just shy of 100 yards receiving uh, per game. While I expect UCF to win this one handily, this is a big up, bump up in competition uh, for the for the Golden Knights uh, in comparison to the two teams they've played so far in UConn, who uh, at this point is the dregs of the group of five and South Carolina State, who is uh, an all-saran in FCS. The other game outside of the uh, our bigger games that I was that really caught my eye was the showdown in Stillwater, 
where Texas Tech is going to try to beat the Cowboys for the first time in 10 years. Last week, the Red Raiders put up 63 points on Houston, which is no small task. Uh, true freshman quarterback Alan Bowman threw for 605 yards and six scores. Oklahoma State, meanwhile, seems to have shored up at least uh, their previous defensive deficiencies, judging by their impressive victory over Boise State. The over-under for this one is set at 77 and a half, and I'm going way over that. They're going to cross that halfway through the third quarter. Uh, the Pokes' pass rush seems to have improved drastically since last season. So the matchup between that pass rushing group, defensive line on Oklahoma State, and the Texas Tech offensive line, whoever wins that one is going to be going to go a long way to determining if the Red Raiders can uh, hang around. Oklahoma State's the favorite, and they should win. But if Bowman is as precise as he was last week, uh, against another team that has a pretty solid defensive front, Houston with Ed Oliver, uh, I wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me to see Texas Tech hang on in this one, but I imagine that Oklahoma State should win this one by two scores. Uh, Josh, with that, uh, I know you've got a couple uh, of the undercard games in the Big Ten that you're interested. In. Yeah, I got another grab bag. The Big Ten. Uh, the first one is ranked Michigan State. They had a very early bye week. Uh, so in all that Big Ten mayhem last week, they came through unscathed. Uh, they have a nasty trip to Bloomington. Um, this has been a pretty close game the last few years. Uh, Indiana's knocked off Michigan State uh, recently. They look to do it again. Uh, Sparty, of course, one and one after that losing trip to the desert. Hoosiers, a very workmanlike three and zero. Um, you know, they they haven't been putting up some of those flashy offensive numbers that we saw in their previous coaching scheme, uh, Tom Allen, obviously much more of a defensive mind than Kevin Wilson, uh, but they're still, uh, they're putting up enough points to impress me, but then the defense is, is really good. And they just blew out a ball state team that gave Notre Dame fits. So that one's going to be pretty intriguing. And then uh, Minnesota, a very quiet three and O also on the year, uh, their young quarterback, Zach Anikstead hasn't put up a ton of yards, Hasn't put up a ton of touchdowns, but he's got zero interceptions through three games. That's what you love to see starting a true freshman quarterback. Hold on, Josh. I just want to interrupt you for a second there. And I I want to say that I was really impressed with their victory over Miami last week. I think Miami is a pretty good team. And I was impressed that they were able to dispatch them without too much trouble, even with a walk-on true freshman at quarterback. Yeah, the gopher defense is really good. And – you know, they handled Fresno pretty well. They handled Miami pretty well. Uh, now they have to take that on the road in a league game at Maryland. Maryland coming off, uh, I don't know if it was a game that they got exposed in or they just were flat or everything was clicking for Temple or the Owls woke up, but Maryland looked dreadful last week. So an opportunity for the Terps to bounce back, but also an opportunity for Minnesota to improve to 4-0 and and, and really make – Quite a big statement to start the young season. And then finally, got to talk about Rutgers hosting Buffalo. Um, Rutgers had the torch of the worst Power 5 program passed from Kansas uh, directly into their forehead. And they are the worst. They are the dregs of Power 5. This is an opportunity for Buffalo to say, hey, 
we just knocked off a Big Ten team on the road. It'll be intriguing. Josh, the thing about saying that is that the MAC team is the road favorite at the Big Ten team in this game. It's all right, though. It's all right, though. Points. Six and, they're, they're basically giving a touchdown to a big like, – that is so pathetic. That is so pathetic. I was talking to my dad again. Uh, you know, Sorry to go into the, the Rutgers ran again. <laughs> but he was saying that when he was a, a, a freshman in uh, – my, my dad was a freshman in 1966. Um, and the schools that they were playing then versus the schools they were playing now were – Pretty sad. Uh, in during the, during the season, they played teams like Colgate and Princeton and Bucknell and schools that are pretty much almost all FCS schools now. And Rutgers, he, he's convinced that Rutgers needs to go to the group of five, if <laughs> not down to FCS. He's completely out on Rutgers athletics. Well, I mean, it's a good thing the Big Ten got that you know, TV market of New York and New Jersey, because this day and age, um, I've been reading all sorts of stuff. People are adding cable packages. Uh, Cable TV is just really growing. I think it's a forward thinking move uh, as more and more people add cable to their house. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be more subscription deals. It's going to work wonders for the big tech. Yeah. And obviously it was all sarcasm. Hopefully (laughs) it came off as sarcasm to me. (laughs) I mean, we, we talked about conference alignment during our uh, remake college football from scratch episode over the summer. So uh, Rutgers, though, uh, definitely does not have any players that are involved in our pop quiz today, which is what it is time for, gentlemen. So take, take out your number two pencils. Make sure you have a blue book and a Scantron sheet. Uh, guys, on our week three recap show just the other day, I mentioned casually that Wake Forest Greg Dortch, their do-it-all wide receiver, leads the nation in all-purpose yards per game. He's sitting at basically 225 yards per game. But there are 14 other players in FBS football who this season are averaging at least 150 all-purpose yards. Can you name them? Josh, off to you first. Yeah, uh, fortunately, several of these guys are in the Big Ten, so I might have a little bit of an advantage over coaching this one. And one of those guys is Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor, the second leading rusher in the country, he has 176 uh, total uh, all-purpose yards per game. Coach. All all right. Um, I'm going to go with my boy, DeAndre Swift. Uh, DeAndre Swift uh, does not appear in the top 50 this year. So he's I told you under, he did. He's somewhere under 120. <laughs> Josh. Um, again, th- there's several guys in the Big Ten that I, I just know from blogging and seeing their stats each week. And the other is the man who's filled in very nicely for Justin Jackson, Jeremy Larkin. Uh, I think just closing in on 400 rushing yards alone, but he's also caught, uh, I want to say, maybe 150 passing yards already. Yeah, he's at 346 on the ground, 127 receiving for a total of 157.7 yards per game. Well done. Coach. All right. Um, 
I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. He's been tearing it up. Ooh, Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. That's a good choice. He's a little bit short. He's at 120 a game, but but he has been tearing it up of late. That's not that's not a bad guess though, coach. Josh. Uh and then the third guy, again, coach, this was just in my wheelhouse. I feel bad, but uh Rondell Moore, the the amazing freshman at Purdue, in their opening week game, he had uh, like 300 all-purpose yards alone. Yeah, he's been amazing. He has 190.3 yards per game, good for fourth in the country. Hmm. All right. Wow. Um, I, I feel I feel really bad about my list right now. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with Hollywood Brown. Ooh, Hollywood Brown had himself a huge game uh, the other day, but he falls just short. He's at 137.3 per game. Mm. Uh, He's got Mm. 412 yards receiving, but he has not added anything, unfortunately, in the return game or on the ground. Unfortunately, that's your third strike coach. So, Josh, if you have any more off the top of your head, um, I had two other names that popped into my head. Um, one, one I was stunned coach didn't say. I thought he would go with an SEC guy in Benny Snell. Is he up there? And then my the other name that popped into my head uh, was uh, BC's fantastic running back, A.J. Dillon's off to a really hot start. I don't know if he receives it enough to Benny, get to crack that. But Benny Snell, uh, that, that's a good guess. He's uh, he's at 130 per game exactly. He hasn't added a ton in the passing game, only 15 yards receiving this year, but he does have 375 rushing. Uh, your your hunch on A.J. Dillon, though, was correct. He's got 153 per game, mostly on the ground, but also 27 yards receiving. Other guys... Wait, 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 wait. He's averaging 153, just has 27 receiving... AJ Dillon has 432 rushing yards and 27 oh, yards. Th- oh wow, that is <laughs> uh, good luck, Purdue this weekend. I didn't realize he was up <laughs> past 400 already. Yeah, he's I uh, believe the fourth. He's the fourth leading rusher in the nation. He had a down game last last game. <laughs> yeah. 33 carries for 185, uh, <laughs> which also brings the point. Did you know that the, uh, uh, this is just a quick factoid? In terms of quarterback efficiency rating this year, which I talked about in one of our recent quick slants, uh, Tua, who I gave an example, is at like 240 this year. Uh, he's number he's number two in the country behind Anthony Brown of BC. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I got rid of my BC hate in the preseason. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this Eagles season, baby. I might have to go back to Chestnut Hill for a game. I am, I am I'm I'm down, baby. He's all in. So, wow. so I, am, you, I am kind of all in, actually. On the, so, on the, so, Matt, I, I got to ask you a question. Yeah. All right. Now that you don't hate BC anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, your boy Vontae Davis decided to quit at halftime, mm-hmm. and so the Bills are in the Josh Allen era. They don't have much on offense. That's not going to last very long. And so, <laughs> um, should you trade in your Bills blue for Falcons red? No, no. I Matt Matt Ryan is the captain of a sinking ship. Mm. So sorry, but, uh, but as as soon as they fire Sark and get a real offense coordinator, but see, I don't think I. I okay, we, uh, that, that's a different story for a different day. I don't think that uh, management is competent enough to realize that Sark is the problem. 
So while we're teasing Matt about the Buffalo Bills, um, I do like it that normally when you see uh, advertisements for a product not related to the NFL, uh, but they want to make it look like football fans, they wear very, very comically generic jerseys. Oh, yeah. Uh, So there is an Old Spice ad where uh, the couple sit on the sofa and she passes him some nachos, and as he picks it up, like a string of – Old Spice products come out, implying that her boyfriend or husband or whatever smells awful. And what are they wearing? Lo and behold, not generic jerseys, Buffalo Bills jerseys. Yes. Can't say I'm surprised. I mean, anyone, <laughs> it's, it's, anyone who reads Deadspin knows about Buffalo Bills fans. So I'm just going to leave it at that. It's cheaper to get the Bills license for their commercial than it was to create a generic jersey. <laughs> the other guys with 150 yards, 150 yards uh, per game. Uh, Daryl Henderson from Memphis, the tailback we talked about the other day on the show. He's second in the nation behind Dorch, 218 per game. Hmm. We've got Austin Walter from Rice. Uh, the senior running back has been doing a little bit of everything, 163 yards rushing, 160 yards receiving, 252 yards returning kickoffs. That's because Rice can't stop anyone, so he's had a million kickoff returns. <laughs> uh, Josh Minson, Rondell Moore. Uh, following him, we've got Juwan Washington, the junior tailback from San Diego State. Jeff Thomas, the burner receiver from Miami. Jonathan Taylor. Malcolm Perry, the uh, the quarterback at Navy, he's already at 497 yards rushing on the season. Marquez Stevenson, the wide receiver from Houston, he's one of, uh, he's, I believe, in the top five in the nation in uh, receiving yards. He has 324 and 119 rushing yards. Quiz Quez Watkins from Southern Miss at number 10, 161 yards per game. Sophomore receiver has uh, uh, been a star in the punt return game. Uh, you mentioned Jeremy Larkin. Then we've got Preston Wils- Williams from Colorado State. Wide, uh, senior wide receiver is the uh, leading receiver in terms of yards per game in the entire nation at 400. Uh, at, sorry, um, in total receiving yards at 497. LaVisca Chenault, who we talked about from Colorado, uh, A.J. Dillon. And finally, J.J. Taylor, the sophomore tailback from Arizona, who has been uh, very effective in the return game. All right, with that, it's time to hit some deep roots. So, Wait, the, the Colorado State kid has more than the Hawaii kid? I thought there was a Hawaii wide receiver. Oh, no, I don't believe so. No, there wasn't in, in my list. So, um, Well, might, he might not be in the all-purpose yards, though. Oh, okay. I, I, thought I, I thought when I was doing my show notes and I saw Hawaii – Stats at the that, that might be correct. I, I I may have I have missed I may have missed him. He might be. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first mistake we've made. It won't be the last. Okay. It happens. That's for sure. Anyhow, the, the important thing is after Coach uh, whipped my behind the last two weeks on the pop quiz, I finally got back into the W column. Uh, yeah. Did you? <laughs> did you ever? Uh, it, it just helps that the Big Ten. We might have lost every game last weekend, but we still have some people that gained some yards. Yeah, well, <laughs> yards are important. <laughs> uh, that's a John Madden quote, I feel like. <laughs> Whoa, boom, yards are important. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to work on that. <laughs> Matt's just shaking his head right now. <laughs> Matt might have muted himself. <laughs> I know. 
He's no, I, I have you myself. I've, I, I just, I don't know what to say because I am terrible at impressions. All I can say is, boom, tough acting to acting. <laughs> now, now that was a good connection ad there. You should really get some advertising dollars out of that. <laughs> I'm Coach O for Tough Acting to Nacton. I'm the new spokesperson. Yeah. Coach O. <laughs> Coach O looks more like he would do a preparation H commercial. Coach O would do both <laughs> simultaneously while drinking Red Bull. <laughs> no, so, no. So, so what you're so what you're saying he, is that he has athlete's foot, hemorrhoids, and he's tired. Yes. Yes. So well, he's sounds- never tired because he constantly drinks Red Bull. He, he has an IV of Red Bull. No, no lie. Uh, I know a guy I worked with at, when I was uh, at Rivals. He worked with he worked for Coach O as his video coordinator. He said uh, Red Bull placed you know three refrigerators throughout the office. One was the biggest one was in his office, and it was they had to constantly restock it because he would just he would just crush them. He would just crush Red Bull. That's why he's so crazy. I'm a bit of a sucker for sugar-free Red Bull. That That is one of my, I don't want to say vices, but it is a beverage that I do enjoy. Now, it's all about the spark, Matt. It's all about the spark. I know. The spark is delicious, but it's just so much more complicated to make the spark than it is to just nah. pop the Red Bull. Once you, become a, once you become a veteran, it's like second nature. This segment of the podcast brought to you by AdvoCare. You guys heard of gin? Uh, I'm drinking some right now. Why? Why the hell would you have Red Bull when there's gin on this planet? <laughs> gin and juice. <laughs> Laid back. We have gone so far off the rails, in fact. I don't know where we are. So let's get We're at deep roots on schedule with... I'll take over. Roots, I'll take over. No, hold on. I, I got this. I got this. We're at deep uh, roots. This next game is... We're, we're going to get... Uh, the one that I'm going to. Yes. Primetime, Saturday night. Under the lights, Kinnick Stadium. Badgers versus Hawkeyes. Josh's split allegiance up for grabs. He's going to be in the house for the game. I'll get to my thoughts on the game here in just a minute. But, Josh, I'm going to start by asking you a question. Is there a chance that the loss to BYU last week by the Badgers was actually a good thing, a good thing in terms of the fact that it's a you know a pretty big wake-up call right before con- conference play? Or is it more of a harbinger to, for things to come? That's a million-dollar question. If I knew the answer, I'd be in Vegas making a ton of money off this game. Um, here's my feeling as I kind of have had more time to digest the game. BYU beat the snot out of Arizona. BYU took Cal to the wire, a team that we all like. I think BYU is a pretty good ball, ball club after three games. That's a large enough sample size to say that they're a pretty competent outfit. They're ranked this week. Yeah. The way BYU went toe-to-toe with them and matched up, to me, shows that Wisconsin might have ultimately been a little overrated. And against similarly talented teams, Wisconsin's going to be in a battle. And it's not to say the Badgers can't win tight battles. It just means that they're not going to be decimating teams like we expected. I think if they had had that performance against 
FCS school, subpar Sunbelt team, um, bad Mac team, we would have all gone, oh, wow, that, that's the wake-up call. Okay, Wisconsin needed some cold water. They needed to get going, and having an embarrassing loss will do it. I just don't know. I could easily see Wisconsin coming out all pissed off and just blowing Iowa off the field, or I could see the Hawkeyes pulling it out and just doing what BYU did, which was make Wisconsin really one-dimensional, eat up that offensive line. Wisconsin or Iowa has a really good defensive line. AJ Epinesa is on fire right now. Um, three games through the season, so I guess we'll find out the real Wisconsin on Saturday and it'll be mighty interesting because if Iowa can replicate the things BYU did, we might find out that Iowa's got a good shot at heading back to another Big Ten title game. Yeah. Well, Matt, Matt yeah, here's the way I see it, um, to be honest with you. I, I think with Wisconsin graduating Fumagalli, Fumagalli, I think, I think them graduating Fumagalli and I think Quintez Cephas being out um, is really, really, really hampering this passing attack more than anybody ever imagined uh, because so much of what Hornerbrook did well was he found, he found Fumagalli a lot. And that was, I don't want to say it was crutch. That's I mean, those crazy. were his top two receivers last year. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you lose that kind of chemistry, maybe Hornerbrook is not as good as we thought. Um Maybe Jonathan Taylor tailback can't carry this team uh, as as much as Badger fans would like him to because they have no threat to pass. You're going to get a lot of run blitz. You're going to get a lot of loaded boxes, and it's going to be a lot of come after Hornerbrook and make him beat you, which BYU proved that he can't. So this will be this will be interesting to see kind of what Wisconsin does and how they get creative in getting Hornerbrook good looks um in the passing game and and being able to to still be two-dimensional uh, yeah in, so one, one thing I, one thing i want to add to that coach i i think when you bring up Cita, cephas and fumigali it's a good point both those guys uh fumigali was it's an excellent receiver but also a very good blocker and quintus cephas is i mean i don't want this to be taken as a backhanded compliment he's the best blocking receiver i have seen since heinz ward um, he is a absolutely, he's a physical blocker. You never have to worry about the corner who's covering him making the tackle because he's going to make that block every single time. And Danny Davis and uh, AJ Taylor and you know the rest of the receiving core are not as adept in the run blocking game. And that's a huge part of the Badger scheme. And I think that's part of the reason why we haven't been seeing them run the jet sweep uh, this year, because they don't have, they would always run it to Cephas's side because they knew he would get that corner every single time. I watching, I rewatched the uh, BYU game because I'm a bit of a sadist, and in watching that, I was shocked to see how badly David Edwards got annihilated. David Edwards, the right tackle for Wisconsin, he is effectively the left tackle because Horner Brooks a lefty. So he's protecting the blind side of the quarterback and he was simply abused all game. This is a guy coming into the season that, you know, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, all the draft Knicks had as a, you know, as a first round prospect. Well, he got thoroughly beat by BYU. And so I think a, a lot of it, you know, was starting to get, get to his head. And I think he might've been getting a little bit of a big head about it, 
but he needs to get his fundamentals down because Josh mentioned AJ Epinesa. And if it is third and long, the Wisconsin has zero shots. So it's going to come down to how much yardage can they get on first down to set up second and short, third and short. Because if they have to, you know, spread it out, put Hornerbrook and shotgun, go, you know, three, four wide receivers, then that is playing right into Iowa's hands because they have Epinesa, who's a phenomenal pass rusher, um, linebackers who can cover everywhere and I you know I'm always afraid of the Iowa secondary as as someone who's been watching the Big Ten for two decades now Iowa secondary is consistently one of the best in the league so I I, I, go ahead Josh I was just going to say you know you mentioned AJ Epinesa's pass rushing acumen um something that they've really tried to do this year and, and through camp and stuff is it's making much more of a every down lineman to maximize his talent. And uh, he's played more downs this year. Um, He's looked pretty good against the run. Um, He's still deadly in the passing game, but um, expect to see Epines out there way more than you did last year at his freshman year. And then also uh, on that Iowa D line, you got Parker Hesse, who um, probably a little bit under the radar nationally, but people that follow the big 10 will, say that he's one of the, you know, top 10 linemen probably in this league. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and, and also Matt, um, based on, to, to piggyback on what you're saying, um, I'm going to make an analogy and uh, stick with me for a second here. Um, Wisconsin and Washington state, they're vastly different philosophies, but they have, but they have that in common as well because, Wisconsin has to live and die in 22, 13, 23 personnel, right? They have to live and die. They have to get the run game rolling um, in order to make the passing game work out of that same personnel grouping. If they can get that going, they're going to be hell on wheels, all right? They couldn't get that going against BYU, and BYU ended up winning. Washington State, on the complete flip side, but has the same problem. They have to thrive they have to get in a rhythm out of empty or, you know, 10 personnel or whatever the case may be. They have to get in their groove in order to be able to have a little, to have enough success running the ball uh, to be able to continue on with their pass game. See, Wisconsin doesn't have to roll up 300, 400 yards of passing to be successful. They just have to be good enough to keep their running game alive. And for, for Washington State, they have to be just good enough running the ball on draws and inside zone to be able to sling it all around the yard 70 times like they like to do. So if Wisconsin, they have to get back to who they are. 12 personnel, 22 personnel, 13 personnel, that type of thing. And then just get it rolling, throw a few play actions, keep them honest and and get them rolling. And that's who they are. Yeah. And and, and Josh, final thing, final question I kind of want to pose to you. Uh, before we move on is that this game I think you know as it's want to be is going to be a bit of a referendum on the Hornerbrook versus Nathan Stanley discussion because I think those two guys are kind of inextricably linked with each other Uh, you know they've both been uh, starting for basically the same amount of time they've both you know I think Hornerbrook has a a couple more starts than Stanley does but uh, they were in the same recruiting class uh 
And, you know, Gary Anderson famously did not recruit Stanley, even though he's from the state of Wisconsin, uh, was the Gatorade player of the year in three sports in the state of Wisconsin. But Gary Anderson did not think he was athletic enough to be the quarterback at Wisconsin. So, but he left, yeah. Chris came in and brought in Hornbrook with him. And no, I'm not bitter at all. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I think that the, these two guys though are, um, you know, well, they're both in, in many ways, classic big 10 quarterbacks. And I think that this game is going to be seen as a sort of a referendum on the two of them. So who do you expect to have a better game? Who? Um, Stanley has better upside and the coaches call more passes um, than, you know, let me rephrase that. They call more down the field passes. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a game earlier this season where I think, uh, Stanley ended up with like seven passes. It was really bizarre. Um, but the, uh, I think that might've actually been like the Northern (laughs) Illinois game, quite (laughs) honestly. Um, but what Brian Ferentz does is, uh, he really lets Stanley sling it out there and his touch on the deep balls just for two years now feels like it's about a half step off, but granted it was against Northern Iowa. So except in that that Ohio state game. Yeah. Um, so granted it was against Northern Iowa, but he finally connected on some of his deep passes a week ago. Um, for him, he's got so much potential and I don't know if it is accuracy or his, Arm strength is too much for Iowa's receivers, and there's not enough speed on Iowa. But um, I think most Iowa fans are in my mindset of if it all comes together for this kid, he's got the Drew Tate ability. He's got the Ricky Stanzi ability. He can lead us places. And it's just a matter of having it all click. And, hell, maybe this is the week, and, and it's Shades of Ohio State last year. It could go that way. It could also go the other way where he connects on nothing, Iowa gets blown out, and everyone's like, why did Wisconsin want this guy? They've got Hornerbrook. Who cares about Stanley? So we'll see. I didn't really answer your question. but yeah, It's okay. If Hornerbrook is on the bad game, uh, <laughs> you, you can you can, you can yeah. take this bet to the bank that I will be on next week's recap uh-huh. show uh, ranting for <laughs> Um, I'll give you I'll give you an analogy here. Um, Alex Hornerbrook and Nathan Stanley in their current careers, where they're at right now. Hornerbrook is everybody loves Raymond. You know what you're getting; it's pretty consistent. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the greatest product ever. And Nathan Stanley is like a high concept FX show, where you're watching it, you're like, if they can get everything to work out. This might be the best comedy on TV. But when it and doesn't work, it's terrible. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's head then from the Big Ten and, and get the coach a little more involved in the conversation. Uh, two weeks ago, te- Texas A&M got to host the number two team in the country. And they put up a nice, uh, pretty good fight against Clemson in College Station. This week, they get to take on the number one team in the country, 
uh, in Alabama. They have to head to Tuscaloosa, though, for this one. So, Coach, obviously it's a real long shot that they'll even be uh, in the game in the second half. So this question might be a bit of a moot point, but what can the Aggies possibly do to slow down Tua and the gang down there in Tuscaloosa? Keep them off the field. Um, in, in all honesty, um, you know, they just got to show great balance offensively. Kellen Mond is averaging 274 per game. He has six touchdown passes. Travion is leading the SEC in rushing um, 133 per game. So if they have balance and they can control the clock, maybe they get uh, two uh, limited possessions. But when he's out there, um, they have to do the same thing they did to Kelly Bryant or and, and Trevor Lawrence, just get pressure, blitz, you know, stunt, twist, whatever you got to do, get pressure. If you give and, and tackle, get pressure and tackle. If you allow Tua to run around back there and, and do what he does, it's going to be a long day. Um, but if they carry the same similar game plan, not the same, but similar that they carry to, to Clemson, or then they will they will have a little bit easier time uh, with two. Now for Alabama, you know, this ain't the same Aggie team they they faced a, a year ago. A lot of the same players, but this ain't the same team. You know, this team is a lot more competitive. This team is a lot more physical. They're better defensively. So they're going to give them a run, and and this is going to be this is going to be a really good test to see if Tua is ready for the big show. I mean, I guess you could say Ole Miss, but I mean, oh, but Ole Miss's defense is not in the same league. They as. they have beat the they have beat the tar out of Ole Miss, and and like yeah, like you said, defense is defense at Ole Miss is nowhere near as talented as as the Aggies. So. Um, I like yeah, so, this matchup a lot, and I think it's going to be closer. Uh, you think I think it's be closer than the twenty-six point spread that it's at right now. Yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I would take. I would take the points here. Um, well, you know, that's just that's just me. I would take the points. So, Josh, you know, Kellen Mond for Texas A&M looks really good against Clemson, who you know we thought a lot of people thought had possibly the best defense in the country. Alabama also has a pretty good defense, but they're a little bit greener, a, little, a lot younger than Clemson's defense. Do you think he will be able to find similar success against the Crimson Tide? I think he's got a great chance of finding similar success, and I think it has to do with what I said back during the Clemson preview, which is Mon's first year last year. One of the things that stood out was really good talent with his feet, and if there's one thing that has befuddled Alabama a little bit was mobile quarterbacks. And it's not even necessarily quarterbacks taking off and running. It's quarterbacks improvising when the pocket inevitably breaks down against their stout defensive lines. I think Mond has that in him. Uh, I think if this game was in Kyle Field, I would say we might see another two, three touchdown type game where it's down, down, down to the wire, just like the Clemson game. With it in Tuscaloosa, though, I I think Alabama ultimately prevails. I'm not sure they cover that huge, almost four touchdown spread, but um, I I do think Alabama will pull away. But but A&M has really impressed me. 
All right. Well, we'll keep moving on. Coming off of a solid win over a top 15 USC team last week, the Longhorns get to host another top 15 team this weekend when TCU comes into town. The Horn Frogs look pretty impressive against Ohio State outside of a couple of very costly turnovers in that loss. Josh, do you think that TCU will be able to clean up some of those mistakes and come away with a win? I think they will. Um, some of them were just fluky. I mean, a shuffle pass, pick six, that's pretty easy to clean up. You just don't call another shuffle pass. So I think TCU can clean that up. And look, Texas has one game so far that they've looked competent in, and it was at home against a true freshman quarterback with a program having their own issues with, with Clay Helton. So let's not assume that Texas is, as Joe Tessitore would love to say, back. And I, I have uh, some funny information for you guys regarding this. I always game. like uh, uh, odd factoids. Yeah. Um, so Texas's defense, you know, looks so good against USC. All that last week did was get them up to 69th nationally in total defense. Don't let one game fool you. TC is going to blow them out of the water. What's the spread on this game, Matt? Uh, the spread on this one is... This is just three points. Yeah, three, TC by three. Yeah. I, I don't know what Vegas is doing. I wish I was in Vegas making money on this game because I think TC is going to win by probably about 21 points. Coach, uh, are, are, you on, are you with Josh on this one? Do you think it's going to be a blowout or do you think it's going to be a little closer than that? I think it's going to be a little closer for a while. I, I, I don't think I don't think blowout's the right word, but I, I think it's going to be somewhere between blowout and not close. Um, comfortable. We'll, we'll talk about comfortable. 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 There you go. That's that's a perfect perfect analogy. I think the first half is going to be really fun to watch, um, and then after that, you can probably go on to another game because TCU is going to pull away. Um, I really, really, really like Sean Robinson. Um, and uh, it, it, just watching him play against that Buckeye defense was was awesome. He had he had a career high twenty four completions. He had a career high three hundred eight yards, um, career high three hundred fifteen yards of total offense, um, all in a loss, and all because one shuffle pass that didn't go his way, and then a couple other flute things uh, that happened offensively. Uh, with with turnovers that with turnovers and field positions and penalties and things like that that didn't go their way that caused Ohio State to win this game. This this TCU team is they're they're the they're the snake in the grass. They're they're the ones laying in the weeds. Oklahoma should tread lightly with the Horned Frogs. You mean but Texas? Te- Texas should tread lightly. Well, Texas too, but <laughs> I'm yeah. talking like long term here. Oh, long term. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah. my um, uh, you know, every time we talk TCU, I'm contractually obligated to mention Cavante Turpin. He didn't touch the ball very much last week. I hope to see it in his hands a little bit more in this one. Uh, let's keep moving on though. Back to the SEC now. Uh, don't look now, uh, but we've got a big matchup of undefeated SEC teams taking place in. Lexington? That's right. Lexington, Kentucky, where Benny Snell might be one of the uh, might be the best back in the conference. Uh, Terry Wilson, the JUCO transfer quarterback, has looked pretty good coming in, and he's got three seasons of eligibility left, including this year. So, 
uh, things looking good for Kentucky, but Joe Moorhead has got uh, off to a very good start in his first season in Stark, Stark Vegas, despite not having Nick Fitzgerald at the beginning of the year. Uh, as a team, Mississippi State is fifth in the nation in rushing offense and eighth in total defense. So, Coach, uh, who do you see having the upper hand in this one, especially in that uh, the Kentucky offense versus the Mississippi State defense? Ooh, um, well, when you put it that way, um, I think Kentucky's offense has the upper hand in that particular matchup because of Benny Snell. I, I think he, I think he's a he, he's one of the few. Uh, instances where you can say that one man can be an X factor in a game. And that team really just ebbs and flows with Benny Snell. If he's having a bad game, uh, so, so is, uh, so is Kentucky, so is everybody else on Kentucky. But, um, and then, but then when you flip the script, you know, and you, you put Mississippi State's offense against Kentucky's defense, I think, you know, advantage Mississippi State in that, in that, in that scenario. So really, I mean, you, you look at this matchup, and it's going to be, you know, who can get one more stop than the other guy, you know. And I know that seems kind of mad of me to say, but, you know, it's really going to come down to the first one to get a stop or maybe two stops is going to win the game. Um, because I think both offenses operate that at that high of an octane, that, you know, and that efficiently and effectively that, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a track meet, I think. Um, and, and ultimately, I think Mississippi State will come, come out on top because I think they have uh, a deeper roster uh, than Kentucky does, and they have they have better guys up front. But And then, you know, also the trigger man uh, helps too. Having, having a good quarterback um, is, is good. But uh, the one advantage for Kentucky is they're playing at the, at the grocery bag. Um, <laughs> Kroger Field, if, if you're – those of you who haven't caught on to that yet. Uh, so uh, that doesn't hurt them. Uh, but I think Mississippi still ultimately will, will come away with this because um, I've been su- supremely impressed with Joe Moorhead and what he's done uh, with, uh, with the development, the quick development of this Bulldog team and just the continued improvement of Nick Fitzgerald. Yeah, actually, that's a perfect segue because, Josh, I was going to ask you, you know, we were all pretty high on Joe Moorhead coming in, and I don't think he's done anything to disappoint. Has there been anything that he has done so far this season that has really stood out to you? Yeah, so um, he was the offensive coordinator, I believe, at uh, Penn State, a team that um, kind of had a, a back that was fairly productive. Yeah, yeah, uh, Barkley, he was okay. Yeah, and we're and we're seeing <laughs> uh, we're seeing some of that. Yeah, that was terrible. We're seeing some of that. Barkley. <laughs> uh, we're seeing some of that scheme, and then just uh, Moorhead's offensive acumen uh, paying dev- dividends for Tylen Hill at Mississippi State. Um, I'm focusing on the K State game because that's probably the closest analogy for previewing this Kentucky game because it was a road game and it's the only team of note that state has played. And, and in that game, Hill had 211 rushing yards, uh, seven on just 17 carries and two touchdowns. So Kentucky's going to be focused on Nick Fitzgerald. So for Mississippi state, they need to have a good game from Hill. It's kind of a cross multiplication situation though, because Mississippi state's going to be keyed on Benny Snell. And you mentioned uh, Terry Wilson, Matt, Mm-hmm. 
So looking at what Kentucky did at Florida, because that's the only team of note that they've played, uh, he had an efficient day passing the ball, 11 of 16, found the end zone twice. But here's the thing, 105 rushing yards on just 10 carries. I think for Mississippi State to win, they need to find secondary rush offense outside of Fitzgerald. For Kentucky to win, I think they need to find secondary rush offense outside of Benny Snell, and it's that simple. Whoever can get their second player in their backfield to get going will probably win the game. All right. Well, let's get to our final deep root of the day. It's not quite Pac-12 after dark, but instead let's just call it Pac-12 around dusk. Stanford leaves the farm for the first time this season to take on an improved Oregon squad. Josh, the Cardinal looked pretty dominant so far through their first three games. So do you think it's going to continue out in Eugene? Well, it might. And the thing that's giving probably some people pause is Bryce Love didn't play last week for an undisclosed injury. Is he back full strength? We'll find out. But Otson, night game almost. I know it's 5 p.m. on the Pacific Coast, but... With uh, a Stanford team a little bit questionable than they normally are, I'm not saying Oregon has to win it to make a statement this early in Mario Cristobal's career. They're not going to be measured on this one season, but it's an opportunity to make a statement. And I'm not saying it's a must situation, but it's just an opportunity. I think Oregon has to be excited about that, that it's been a while since – it feels like they've had an opportunity for a, a national stage game, and, and they certainly have it this week. But uh, Stanford probably has enough in the tank, especially if Bryce Love is anywhere close to 100%. Yeah, Coach, uh, how, how do you expect uh, Stanford to attack Justin Herbert, who is a pretty good dual-threat guy? Contain him um, because he's such, a, he's such a threat running the ball. And, of course, you have that – uh, that zone read option stuff that they do, and the the jet the jet read stuff that they do, and you just gotta you just gotta play play under control, play you know play tempoed, and he he's not one of those guys that um, you know Tua. The difference between him and Tua, you know, in my analogies with that is Tua is not a run first guy. Tua wants to throw the ball. Justin Herbert is about a fifty fifty guy. He could he he loves running it just as much as he loves throwing it. And and if you don't play under control against a guy like Justin Herbert, then he'll find a crease and he'll go. But I imagine you know Stanford's defense is typically pretty disciplined. Yeah, they are, and and they're they're going to have to play that way. And and even the most disciplined of defenses sometimes takes the cheese, especially when they think they have they have something. You know, it. So again, just just contain him, just contain him, and force him to hang in there. And, and force him to beat you from the pocket. If you can force him to beat you from the pocket, I feel confident that that you do enough things uh, containment-wise, somebody will get loose and make a sack because you'll box him in you'll have nowhere to go. All right? The, the same way you play Justin Herbert is the same way you play Hill Page, you know, for us. You know, teams try to keep him in a box. Um, most are unsuccessful, but the ones that are are the ones that end up beating us. 
and be and, and containing hail. So you gotta you gotta you gotta box them in, let them make some let them make some throws, be patient, be patient, be patient, and then the sacks will come. Your DBs will have to will have to play a little bit more alert and, and, and better um, on, on the back end, especially early. But then once you start knocking balls down, then you'll start getting pressure because he'll start to hold the ball a little bit. And then when he starts to run, he won't have anywhere to go. Advantage Stanford in that case. And it's interesting you bring up the passing defense coach because uh, on the flip side, Oregon right now, 82nd in pass defense. And Stanford, they got Costello, they got Jaws, a little bit more uh, lively passing game than we've seen out of the Cardinals since Andrew Luck graduated. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, then on the flip side, you know, put pressure on Herbert to, to make, or Herbert, or however you pronounce his name, um, put pressure on him to just try to make big plays to get back in the game. If you can score a couple quick touchdowns, get them, get them down early. That puts a lot of pressure on Herbert to say, okay, well, I got to put this team on the back and then he's going to try to do too much. And heck, you might get a turnover, pick six or scoop and score, you know, that might happen too. So, you know, Stanford just got to do what Stanford does. And if Bryce, and if they can get any production out of Bryce Love, anything close to what, to what he normally is, um, then I think they'll be okay. Um, I think they will be somewhere between tight and comfortable, um, maybe comfortable towards the very, very end, but I, I think it'll be tighter than, than everybody's thinking. Um, because a lot of people are like, well, yeah, Oregon's not the same Oregon. Maybe they're frauds sitting at there at 20. That's going to be a tight game. It's going to be a four-quarter game, I think, because Herbert is that talented. He'll make plays. Um, but Stanford's got to limit the plays and make them drive. Yeah, Stanford only a point-and-a-half favorite here. I would imagine that they would cover that spread and win by three at least. But, you know, we will see. It's going to be fun. That's for sure. All right, guys, quickly, uh, last segment of the day. Pack 12 at sunset. Let's hit some spread formations uh, coming into the week. You guys are both at five and ten. I'm at eight and seven. But we will start, coach, in our hometown where the Commodores are hosting South Carolina. Cox are a two point favorite on the road. Who are you taking? Well, you know Vanderbilt's fired up, man. Derek Mason, uh, fresh off a verbal spat uh, via press conference with uh, Brian Kelly, uh, talking about how his defense has been cutting um, Notre Dame's offensive linemen. Yada yada yada. I'm not going to get into the whole story, but they're fired up. Kyle Shermer's playing good. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn's playing good. The defense is playing good. Uh, I I think Jawan Williams will shut will will lock down on Debo Samuel, and Vanderbilt will be victorious at the dud. Josh, Tom Herman to the Big Twelve is as Will Muschamp is to the SEC. In my feelings, doors win. All right, yeah. I mean, I'm obviously taking the Doors here, uh, not just because I believe that the Doors' defense will be able to contain South Carolina's offense, but also because if I don't, I will be sleeping on the couch tonight. Um, Next, uh, Northern Illinois got their first win of the season last week against Eastern Michigan, and they are headed to Tallahassee this week to take on a Seminole team that is in disarray. Still, Florida State, 10-point favorites at home. Coach, who are you taking? Is it Bad to take Northern Illinois here. No, uh, that is your prerogative. I, I'm taking. I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm gonna be like Canelo Alvarez. I'm gonna be bolder. 
Um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the Huskies here. They're gonna cover. I, they might even win. Florida State is a mess right now, and uh, this might be the uh, Willie Taggart go pack your things uh, game. Of, but then again, Willie Taggart has a 21 million dollar buyout, so that might not happen anytime soon. But so they're stuck, man. I don't know what's gonna happen. This Florida State team's a mess, though. So I'm, I'm gonna take Northern Illinois in the points. I might be wrong, but just for fun, I'm taking Northern Illinois. Josh. Well, you can't solve pass blocking in a week. Syracuse, after beating up on Florida State, is up to seven sacks on the season. Uh, Northern Illinois comes into this game with 11 sacks already. Northern Illinois has got a good defensive front. Forget covering. I think Northern Illinois wins. Uh, Yeah, DeAndre Francois is going to become very acquainted with Sutton Smith very quickly and often in this game. Uh, I'm with you, Josh. Northern, not just to cover, but to flat-out win outright. All right. Uh, Josh, you teased this game earlier. It's an interesting non-conference matchup for two teams who are both coming off of unexpected buys due to Hurricane Florence. North Carolina State heads to Jones C. Edwards Stadium to play the thundering herd of Marshall. Wolfpack, six-point favorites on the road. Coach, who you got here? Well, um, before I say this pick, um, Northern Illinois has uh, Orange Bowl revenge on their minds when they play Florida State. If you, uh, if you remember uh, way back when uh, they took on the, the, the Seminoles in an Orange Bowl when Northern Illinois went to the Orange Bowl. So keep that in mind. Um, as far as this game goes, uh, the ghost of Naeem Hines comes back uh, and NC State wins and covers. NC State win and cover. All right, Josh? Yeah, it's tough to get a read on these two teams. Not only was last week canceled, but uh, here is NC State's schedule so far. James Madison and Georgia State. Marshall counters with a trip to Miami of Ohio and Eastern Kentucky. So two teams that are 2-0, and o, but what do we know about them? Uh, the thing I do know about NC State is that Ryan Finley is a really good quarterback. I think Marshall makes it interesting. It's a tough, tough trip, but I think NC State prevails and covers by a little bit. I really, really want to take Marshall here. Uh, I really like them in our Conference USA season preview. Don't do it. Coach, why are you telling me not to do it? Don't do it. Coach, because you're telling me not to do it, I am going to take Marshall. I'm taking Marshall here, guys. I'm taking the Thundering Herd at home. Why not? It was a complete toss-up. I I knew where I was going on all the other games. I had no idea where I was going to go on this one coming in. You know what? I... I love Doc Holliday. I really like Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley might be, you know, Ryan Finley's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the country, but Marshall at home, it's going to be a little rowdy there. You know what? Give, give me Marshall to cover. All right. Well, we, we, we talked about Pac-12 uh, around sunset, but we'll go to the true Pac-12 after dark game this weekend, and that is when Washington hosts Arizona State. Both teams come in at, to this game at 2-1. and one. Coach, uh, Huskies seventeen point favorites at home. Who are you backing? Ooh, um, 
that's a that's a tough one. That's 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 a really really tough one. I'm not sure. Well, I'm so, gonna I'm gonna make you pick. You're gonna make me pick. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here here's what we got. I'm gonna go with. We'll go with the Hoosiers. No, I'm gonna go with the Huskies to cover. <laughs> If you took the Hoosiers, that'd be very impressive. Yeah, they win this contest. No, um, I, I was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was, I was looking through, uh, I was looking through the lists and and that name. I know you said Huskies. I know you said Devils and all that stuff. But then, that, then I saw the words and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I Ron Burgundy did it. Just so you know, <laughs> um, you know I, I'm, I'm gonna take uh, as as much as I think Herm Edwards is doing a tremendous job. Um, I think this Washington team is gonna be really tough. Miles Gaskin is gonna have. Um, He's gonna have a big day, I think, um, and they're gonna cover the seventeen points. I think they, I think they win by twenty. Twenty, all home. right. Hmm. Josh, well, I'm getting out my graphing calculator and my slide rule, and I'm seeing that a week ago, San Diego State had fifty-eight carries for three hundred and eleven yards. So Miles Gaskin is gonna go off. Washington covers, and. You know where I stand on this Herm thing. I th- would not be surprised if they ended the year 2-10. and 10. So last year, if you'll remember, Washington headed down to Tempe and lost. Arizona State played a mirror image of themselves in San Diego State last week, and I think that's part of the reason they got caught up. I think Washington's going to win, but I'm still worried about Washington's offensive line with Trey Adams still out. I'm going to take Washington to win by only 14, so I'm actually backing the Sun Devils to cover here. Matt, the Bluetooth is a competent coach, though. This is true, but I like Manny Wilkins, man. I I, I really like Manny Wilkins, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I will say. So, you know, this will probably come back to bite me in the butt, but for one more week, I'm going to stick on Arizona State. And finally, it's time for everyone's part of the show. It's pick that Jayhawk line. Uh, Watch out, America. Kansas is on a roll. They've got a two-game win streak. They lead the country in turnover margin. They are at plus 12 turnovers on a year. That's plus four per game. That is absolutely outstanding. This weekend, they head to Waco, where just last week, the Bears were beaten at home by the Dukies. Coach can and will the Jayhawks cover that seven-and-a-half-point spread? Mm, they're playing a lot better, I, I will say. I will say they're playing a lot better, but not, not well enough. I think Baylor, I don't. I don't really want Baylor to cover, but I think they do. I think Baylor wins by 10, um, but I hope that I'm wrong. How's that? All right. Josh? So you mentioned Kansas being opportunistic. I know six turnovers by Rutgers will skew their stats for them to be leading the country. But uh, last week, Baylor hosted – a Duke team that is banged up and Daniel Jones didn't play and the Dukies ran them out of the building. It was 23, nothing at halftime. Baylor had two giveaways. Baylor had 
five more penalties. They stunk it up. And Kansas has, believe it or not, I think, played just more impressive football. And you're telling me that Baylor needs to win by over a touchdown to cover that. I like Kansas because I think Kansas has a legitimate shot. I'm going as high as like 40% to win this straight up outright on the road. So I'm going to go with the Jayhawks. I'm putting on my Puka Williams Jr. necklace, my Puka shells, and I am all in for the Jayhawks, baby. All in. Uh, I, I, I like Kansas in this spot. I don't like Baylor at all for multiple reasons. So uh, for me, for the third week in a row, rock chalk, baby. Rock chalk. All right. That is going to do it for us here tonight. Josh, any final words? Yeah, um, I stepped away from my mic and headphones for a little bit, so I don't believe anyone mentioned the Arkansas game. So I think we buried the lead right there. We did. Um, unless Coach mumbled on about it way back earlier on the show. But uh, uh, you got to put Auburn on a little bit of an upset watch list because, look, Arkansas has been getting closer and closer in this rivalry the last few years. Back in 2016, they came up just short in a nail-biter, 56-3. to Last season – Oh, man, they were right there. They only lost that one 52-20. to 20. So um, by the calculations, this game will probably be somewhere around uh, like 48-23. to 23. So uh, in about 15 years, Arkansas might win this game. Coach, final words from you? Final words. Uh, well, we almost, we almost didn't bury the league. We almost were awesome and didn't bury the league. Um, but I guess I uh, – Josh, when you stepped away from the microphone, I did mention them. It's okay, though. Mm. Yeah, I did. I did. Oh, it, um, happens. it happens, yeah. yeah. You know, I just couldn't help it. I, I just I felt compelled to, to not bury the lead because I always bury the lead. I just was feeling bad about myself. But anyway, uh, go dogs, as always. All and right. Hillwood's taking on the Cubs of Cheatham County Central. All right. Well, guys, I mean – even beyond the games we talked about, there's a bunch of other really, really intriguing games. Washington State, USC, I think is going to be fun. Boston College, Purdue. Boston College could uh, run up, you know, 500 yards on Purdue potentially. Notre Dame-Wake Forest, I think, is an intriguing matchup out there in Winston-Salem. Ohio versus Cincinnati, uh, two of the better group of five teams. I mean, we, we've got matchups for days, guys. So uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about on our recap show early next week. But until then, on behalf of uh, our own offensive nader, coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in the Music City, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, this is The Professor in Nashville. Saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. And you know this man thanks for listening to the illegal motion college football podcast to get in touch with the show email us at illegal motion podcast at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at illegal underscore motion thank you for listening to believe 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.